Welcome to the Medical Mnemonist Podcast, brought to you by Med School Coach. Each episode, take a journey into the top techniques for medical mnemonics, study skills, board exam tips, and accelerated learning in higher education. Now, here's your host, Chase DeMarco. Ali Abdul is an FY2 physician in the UK, YouTuber, and co-host of the Not Overthinking podcast. And today we're going to discuss some of the study and exam techniques and productivity techniques that he covers in his YouTube channel and other materials. Ali, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. This should be fun. And I'm loving your uh, virtual background with like your name and the podcast. <laughs> this is like thank you. legit levels of production value. I get a little bit of branding there. Actually, I just did a recent interview with the happy doc, Taylor Brana, and he had that. I'm like, you know what? I don't know why I'm not doing that. It's just, nice. it's a brilliant idea. <laughs> yeah. It's always good to steal ideas from other people. That's, but that's basically all of what I do on my YouTube channel. I just <laughs> kind of <laughs> steal ideas from other people. And ideally, you know, I like to think that I add my own twist to them, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we do as podcasters, as educators, as anything. We're not necessarily creating from scratch. We're not recreating the wheel. We're just trying to produce it and explain it in a way that makes sense to our specific audience. So exactly. that's perfect. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's like what they say, there are no unique messages, only unique messengers. Yeah. So as I discussed a little bit before we started this, you were actually recommended by someone in the Facebook group for this podcast, the Medical Nemonist Mastermind group. And they turned me on to some of your materials and I really liked, it looks like starting about two years ago, you had a lot of exam-based, evidence-based techniques that you started delving into a little more and they became very popular. And you know, as a YouTuber, your audience is much larger than mine, I think, as just a podcaster, but maybe I'll get into that at some point too down the line. <laughs> but I'd love to discuss some of your takes on these techniques. Yeah, man, let's do it. Maybe we could start off with some of the quote-unquote evidence-based techniques from your perspective. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, you and your audience have probably heard all this before, but you know, active recall, spaced repetition, interleaving, categorizing. It's basically just those things. And I try and stretch those so they encompass sort of like hours and hours worth of YouTube videos. But essentially, it's, to be honest, it's basically just active recall and spaced repetition. And the other stuff you know, sort of <laughs> is a little bit of you know, icing on the cake. Gotcha. Yeah, we definitely have to do the you know, spacing effect and rehearsal recall practice mixed together being spaced repetition as we know it very well in medical school. And you were actually, it looks like a, a bit of an educator before you were doing some, what is it, BMAT tutoring, which is kind of like our MCAT. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like, 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 you know, in, in the UK, there's a few different exams to get into med school, kind of like the MCATs. They're called the BMAT and now the UCAS. And any medical student with a shred of entrepreneurialism decides, you know what, I'm going to make a company that teaches people how to test prep for these, for these exams. So like dozens of med students before me, I did that back in like 2012. I think what I did, which benefited me compared to kind of the rest of the composition, as it were, is that I'd been, because I'm a massive nerd, I'd been designing websites and stuff since like middle school or the equivalent in the UK. And so I knew how to make a website look pretty. And back in 2011, 2012, it was quite hard to make a website look pretty. Like you actually had to know some stuff. Whereas nowadays it's like so easy with Squarespace and, and all that stuff, not sponsored. And so, you know, our website looked the part. And so the company got quite big and, you know, we had a few thousand students every year and it's still going to this day. But yeah, that was like, I'd always kind of enjoyed teaching and I would, I'd, I'd been doing like maths tutoring since the age of 13. And I thought, you know what, actually I was looking back through my Evernote files the other day 
And from 2011, like summer 2011, I, I had a note of how to make money. And I was like trying to list all the things I was good at. And I, I had on that list, like, I think I'm pretty good at teaching. And I think I'm pretty good at making websites. If I could make a course where I teach something and then I market it with a nice website, maybe that'll work. <laughs> and now that business is kind of supporting my lifestyle nine years later, which is, which is nice. Yeah. Great way to just kind of live off of that passive income generation in a way. Yeah, man. I think we have some similarities there. I was not an MCAT tutor, but I was tutoring what well, it would be undergraduate psychology courses when I was doing graduate psychology work before I got into medical school. And then I started designing websites a little bit there as out of necessity. Never nice. got to the, the station of making them look good though. That, that was kind of beyond my abilities. Oh, well, I mean, I look back on my designs now and I think, why did I think this looked good? But at the time it worked out reasonably well. <laughs> So when we go to some of the study techniques like space repetition, for instance, I know one of the most popular ones is Anki, at least here. That's the one you always hear of because mm. it's free, it's easy, it has a lot of plugins. Do you still... Oh, but it's not free though. Isn't the iOS app 24, 24.99? <laughs> that's, true, a, that's a complaint yes. I hear a million times and it really frustrates <laughs> me. I'm like, come on guys, this is a life-changing app. You're going to be using this for hours and hours every day for the next four years. Why would you not pay $20 for it? Oh, really grinds my gears. <laughs> As a student, I was reluctant to pay that at first. And then I'm like, you know, I'm actually putting a lot of use into this. I don't want to carry my laptop around all the time. It was when I got the iPad, it made yeah. sense to do it on, on the iPhone, not so much small screen and all that. Yeah, and but, you can always use Anki Web if you want to kind of do it for free. So Yeah, exactly. How does that compare to any other software? Do you recommend any others? Do you use any others or have I've, you in the past? I've dabbled with Quizlet. It's pretty and it's fun, but it's not, just not as full featured as Anki is. Mm -hmm. um, so Anki is just the one that everyone uses here. Occasionally people use Quizlet. There's a few others that have propped up recently. There's one I'm testing, I'm, I'm intending to play around with called I Do Recall and like Remnote and all these other weird ones. But like Anki is the one that everyone seems to come back to. And there's such a big community around it, as, as I'm sure you and a lot of your listeners will know on Reddit and stuff. Yeah, very big community. Always sharing different decks, always sharing advice and creating new you know, plugins for it. Although a lot of mine seem to be crashing recently. I'm not sure if that's <laughs> with the plugin or with my computer at this point. I have to dig into that a little deeper later. Yeah, it's got a bit of a, a learning curve to it. Like I, I spent weeks grappling with an error, an error message. I was like, what the hell is wrong with this? Why isn't it working? But yeah, I think when it works, it works really well. Something I also cover a lot in the show, obviously with the name The Medical Mnemonist is mnemonics. I did notice that you had Nelson Dulles that you've discussed some mm. topics with him in the past. He was actually on episode four of this podcast. So over oh, a year ago, about nice. a year and a half ago now almost. And he's probably going to come on again pretty soon for like a masterclass almost. Mm. thing. Did you use, do you use, do you recommend as far as memory techniques, mnemonics and studying? I enjoyed making mnemonics for things as everyone does. I, I never really used the mind policy stuff very much. I used like the PEG system for memorizing paper references, but that was only when like cramming for exams. It, it's not something that I kind of did extensively. I kind of wish I'd paid more attention to it because it would have been nice. And I know there's all sorts of stuff these days like sketchy that helps you actually create like images of stuff in, in your mind. I want to say uh, back in my day, <laughs> these resources weren't really a thing. And I didn't really take the time to build these elaborate mind palaces around, around stuff in order to memorize it. Yeah, they've definitely grown in the past couple of years. I know mm. Pygmonic's been around for a quite a long time. And then Sketchy came around and it was a little bit more intense and specific for medicine, I think. Both of those creators have been on in the past to discuss their product a little bit more if the audience wants to check that out. And they really have given a lot more tools, I think, to medical learning in contemporary times. In the last couple of years, it really 
delves into something that we don't really see a lot in the research as far as medical mnemonics and memory palaces. It's not something that necessarily has the most robust research done on it, such as evidence-based techniques, such as space repetition. But people have been using it in practice for you know, centuries with great effects. So I think it's something we really should try to investigate a little bit more, especially those that have so much to remember, such as medical learners. Yeah, definitely. Do you have any particular tips for your flashcards when making them? Because I hear so many people just kind of stick to the same, you know, use the closed feature and that seems to be it. And stick really simple flashcards. I kind of have a different layered approach to it with different levels of difficulty almost. I'm not sure if you have seen better success in certain techniques or not. The stuff that I use flashcards for is, isn't very elaborate. Like when I was actually doing these exams and stuff, a lot of these kind of fancy decks um, didn't really exist. And so I was making my own flashcards based on stuff that I was getting wrong uh, from different resources. You know, I tend to lean towards the having lots of stuff on a single flashcard spectrum, as opposed to the kind of one factoid per flashcard uh, school of thought. At least that's what I did back in the day. And we're talking kind of five, six years ago, back when I was actually you know, putting effort into this sort of stuff. Nowadays, I'm kind of dabbling with a bit of step one preparation vaguely considering moving to America for residency, but possibly deciding against it. And so I've now been revisiting the whole flashcard thing. And now sort of when I, when I do flashcards, I find myself um, kind of going through the popular decks from Reddit and King like V8 or is whatever is the one that I'm on. But I find that because there's like tens of thousands of the cards and most of it is stuff that I know, I end up suspending a lot of cards Especially if I think that, okay, you know, because a lot of the times, like there was, you know, a flashcard I came across the other day that was, what's the definition of vasculitis? And in my head, I was like, come on, like, what the hell is that asking? Like, obviously, it means inflammation of a blood vessel. And the answer was inflammation of a blood vessel that can blah, 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 blah. So I immediately suspended that because I've been a doctor for two years. I know what vasculitis means. I don't need that specific factoid in the thing. <laughs> and so I try and kind of suspend on mass and then i'm left with like a few flashcards that i think okay i actually need a flashcard to remember this because i think one of the issues with anki is that you can become over reliant on them uh, on the flashcards and you can kind of think it, it it feels super productive like you know i'm just blitzing through my 600 cards but at the end of the day you end up with this kind of like scatter scatterbrained knowledge of everything and you don't really get the big picture and so i recognize that that used to be a problem for me in med school so now when i'm trying to relearn stuff i'm trying to avoid that trap of memorizing individual factoids and just getting familiar with what's on the card as opposed to what the actual knowledge is itself. Yeah, that's an issue that I ran into a lot as well in the past. And I think maybe the the one-off, the simple flashcards are better for step one because there's a lot of random knowledge on there. It's a little less conceptual. It's less clinical. A lot of information that you need to remember, you know, histologic findings of a certain disease or something yeah. like that, that it's just not something you're really going to use afterwards unless you're a pathologist. But I have kind of led or leaned towards the more comprehensive. So almost like if you were to take a review material, it's going to have the diagnosis and the test you need to run and the treatment, mm. kind of everything. So like yeah. you have what is all of the information almost of this disease and then try to recall everything because that is what you're going to be tested on, at least uh, clinically relevant and, and step two type materials. Yeah, I guess that, that, that was the sort of method I leaned towards when I was using flashcards properly for, for studying as well. Because I think like it's, it's, it's quite useful. Like if someone asks, you know, tell me about atrial fibrillation, it's quite useful to actually just be able to recall all the details of it. Whereas you're very unlikely in, in real life 
to be asked kind of what is the third line management for atrial fibrillation, assuming no structural heart defects, assuming this, assuming that, assuming this, which is what an individual factoid would be on a flashcard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm going to be curious to see what the thought process is for this because the creator for Super Memo is a name that gets brought up often. I can't really pronounce it properly, so I'm not going to butcher it right here. Uh, he's going to be a future guest too. A lot of people bring him up as someone that's done a lot of research on flashcard techniques. So I'm going to be curious to see how he, uh, how his research has compared to how we have actually used it in practice and, and the effectiveness of it. But yeah, I guess that'll be, that'll be for, yeah, for a later, later date, I suppose. Another thing that you cover quite frequently and I think is very important for medical learners or healthcare learners in general with such busy schedules is just some basic productivity tips. I don't want to say hacks necessarily, mm. but a lot of us are brought in with doing the same things that we did in undergrad, for instance, and we don't make the necessary adjustments. We don't adapt properly to med school when we first get there. Do you have any thoughts or tips specifically on maybe a couple of, of simple high yield productivity techniques that you would recommend? So there's a few that I kind of always, always go back to. So when it comes to productivity, I like to take a step back and think kind of what does productiv productivity actually mean? And so the way I think about it in, is in terms of like the productivity equation that I've made a couple of videos about, which is that productivity equals useful output divided by time multiplied by F and F stands for the fun factor. Um, <laughs> And so if we want to be more productive, we either increase the usefulness of our output, increase our output, decrease our time, or make the thing that we're doing more fun. Um, and those are the four kind of bits that we can uh, target with interventions. So that's kind of one mental model. And then the other one is an, an analogy that I like, which is uh, the pilot, the plane, and the engineer. And so the pilot is the person who sets the course and decides what you're going to do and decides your direction. The plane is kind of the, the person doing, like sort of when you're doing the thing and, you know, having to take off and staying the course and not getting distracted. And the engineer's job is to kind of tweak these processes and optimize them so they're all as efficient as possible. And so uh, there's all sorts of different techniques kind of, and I think you know, the, the, the numbers that I've, I've come up with are like, we should probably spend about 10% of our time being the pilot, i.e. You know, figuring out really what do we want to do, um, maybe like 85% of our time being the plane, like just executing on the orders of the pilot and not getting distracted. And then maybe 5% of the time being the engineer. So, you know, just tweaking the system, making sure it doesn't fall into entropy and doing like things like improve our typing speed or, you know, download a new app or something because that can often make us more productive. And I think different people struggle with productivity in different ways. The commonest complaint that I hear from people is that, oh, I, 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 struggle, to, I, I struggle to get the motivation to get started when studying. Or once I've started studying, it's fine, but then I get distracted. And so kind of managing the motivation aspect of it is, is one big intervention that people can do. And the other one is just not getting distracted. And on the motivation front, there's a fantastic book called The Motivation Myth by Jeff Hayden. Some of your listeners might have read, which is all about that actually, you know, this idea that we have that I need motivation in order to do something is a complete myth. And in fact, by doing something and by, being, uh, by getting small successes, that is what gives us motivation. And so action leads to motivation, not the other way around. And when I understood that, it was a real paradigm shift for me. And that was probably the single biggest thing that made me more productive. It's that I don't feel like doing this thing, but my feelings are, are inconsequential because I'm not a three-year-old, I'm an adult, and therefore I'm going to do the thing anyway. Um, yeah, those are just some random thoughts of productivity. 
motivation myth. I will have to check that out. It actually sounds somewhat like some past conversations I've had on the show too, where mm. they're like, well, your, your motivation doesn't matter. Your fun doesn't matter. You just have to push through it. And I think they, they either misinterpreted some of that, or maybe just didn't explain to the fullest because you might not need necessarily the motivation, like you said, but there's that fun factor there that can influence the, the total outcome. Oh, absolutely. And the more fun the work is, the more the more productive we are. And that's why I'm a big advocate for working with friends. We used to kind of, me and my friends at university, we'd go to the library together and we would do the Pomodoro method, like together. We'd all be working on different things. And, you know, I had friends from different subjects, but we would like tap once on the table for like the start of the POM. And then again, at the 25 minute mark, and then we'll do a double tap when the five minute break was over. And we called ourselves the Pomodoro Society and that turned into a WhatsApp group and we're still in touch to this day. So buy a pom sock. That was one thing that I did at university just to make studying a bit more fun. Uh, anything you can do to make it a little more enjoyable. That's why I also think that coming back to the mnemonics a little bit, that is something that at least for some students is very fun because it's a very creative process, a very yeah. personal process. And if you can approach it in a way that's not stressful, you're not trying to make mm -hmm. a mnemonic for everything. You're just throwing it in there for the bits that are really difficult. Or if something comes to mind, write it down, You know, take a note of it because those things are very uh, again, creative. And at least for me, I think they're very fun. So when you can utilize those more creative techniques in your studies, if you can use mind maps, if you can use visual mnemonics, if you can use anything like that, it's going to, to some degree or another, and you'll have to test this out on your own, increase your ultimate efficiency and your ultimate productivity. Yeah, absolutely. And like, <laughs> uh, I remember th that was quite a fun thing that me and my friends used to do when we would study together as well. If, if, like, we wouldn't, if we didn't know the answer to something, we would look at the answer and we would be like, okay, how are we going to remember that? And so like, even now, like some of these like stupid ones, uh, like that's still how I remember some of the things like, you know, what are the side effects of pyrazinamide? And it's like a, a, a tuberculosis drug. Well, you know, uh, Islamically, zina means premarital sex and that is forbidden. Another thing that's forbidden in Islam is alcohol and alcohol causes liver disease. Therefore, pyrazinamide, the drug causes liver disease. It's just like weird ways of remembering it. And now my friends still remember that particular <laughs> kind of thought process to this day. <laughs> and so that's another thing that I always advise people that don't like it, treat, treat your own brain as an absolute dumbass. Don't think you're going to remember something because you're not going to remember it unless you take the effort of make, making like one of these stories for yourself. Yeah, the stories are personal. And that's why I think a lot of students are, at least for myself, I had trouble with other people's mnemonics, with other people's stories. Mm. They weren't something that made sense to me. So I always you know, try to encourage people to make their own whatever possible. So I did want to talk a little bit more about your podcast too, since we're on a podcast here and a lot of people know you from your YouTube series. It's very mm. popular. You have hundreds of thousands of you know, subscribers, millions of downloads on some episodes, I believe. What is the Not Overthinking podcast about? So the tagline is that it's uh, <laughs> an exploration of uh, happiness, creativity, and the human condition, which doesn't really mean anything at all. We need to come up with a better tagline. But essentially, it's, it's usually every week, me and my brother just having a chat and really overthinking about stuff that people don't, that it's usually considered weird to overthink about. Like some of our episodes have been about like, you know, how to make friends and how to keep in touch with people that you met at university and what makes an awkward silence and what it feels like to be uh, rejected if you ask someone out. And, you, you know, just like things like that. My brother is a year younger than me. He studied maths at university and he's now running his own startup. And so we kind of approach these things from a different lens. Um, and both of us are kind of massive nerds at heart. And so we usually have a discussion about this, this sort of stuff. 
and occasionally we have guests on as well. Like we, we had a really good episode last week with a guy called Paul Millard, who was in the corporate world for 10, for 10 years and then decided to screw it and now just kind of does his own thing and seems to not care about money and status and prestige. And he's trying to, he, he seems to be on a mission to convince people that uh, the world of work is not the single, you know, uh, most meaningful thing in life. Uh, even though society is trying to convince us that in order to have value as human beings, we need to be a worker and we need to be providing uh, and, and all this stuff. So that was a super interesting conversation because that's the kind of stuff that I'm now thinking about. You know, I'm taking a break from medicine now and I'm, you know, grappling with all these thoughts in my head that do I really enjoy medicine? Do I really want to work full time as a doctor? Probably not. Would I enjoy that life? Probably not. But then what do I do? Like, what's my identity? How am I just going to be a YouTuber forever? Like, but those are the sort of thoughts that are going through my mind. And the podcast is just quite a nice uh, platform to uh, explore them uh, with, with someone else. Yeah, and it seems you're very entrepreneurial. You have a lot of content that you've put out over the years and you still seem to love putting out more content. You're very consistent with the YouTube videos and everything mm. else. So you have a lot of avenues there. And I wasn't planning on going down this road with the interview, but I am curious since we probably do have other students within the audience here that are unsure of what their future is going to be. They're not necessarily sure if they want to go into clinical medicine, if they want to do something entrepreneurial, startup, something like that. Uh, would you have any advice for someone that's kind of asking those questions right now? I think the nice thing about medicine is that it gives you a very wide open career path, if that's what you want. But I think possibly, like, I don't know if it's, I, I, I imagine it's similar in the US, but like definitely in the UK, you can kind of fall into the trap of getting on the medical training conveyor belt and you just end up finding yourself doing all these things and trying to get all these audits and trying to get all these publications and you're not really enjoying it, but, you th but, but you're sort of thinking to yourself, okay, I'm trying to maximize my points for that next rung, you know, for that next application. And then once I'm in residency, then I'll be happy. And then, oh, you know, I've only got four more years of residency left and then I'll be a consultant and then I'll be happy. And I like, you know, on my, on my last day of work, I was speaking to one of the consultants. Uh, she does respiratory medicine. Consultant mean, is attending in, in the UK. And she was saying that she kind of went into training from straight out, out, out of med school and got spat out the other end as a consultant, got married, had kids along the way, and just, 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 was just like really unsatisfied with her life. And she looked back of those 10 years of training and, and kind of thought that, you know, is this all there is to life? And so she was really inspired by kind of my YouTube channel and stuff and saying that she always kind of wanted to do something creative and entrepreneurial but just got sucked into the system of, you know, the medical infrastructure and kind of spat out the other end. And so the thing I always kind of advise people is that, you know, no one's going to know you better than yourself. So really ask yourself at multiple points, what is the game that you're playing? And is it really the game that you want to be playing? And if so, what are the different victory conditions of that game? Because I think, yeah, it's a real tragedy when I hear, when I speak to medical students who haven't thought about this and actually still subscribe to the view that if they just get those good exam results, then stuff will kind of work out further down the line. You know, that might not necessarily be true. Yeah. I've definitely been seeing more and more uh, Facebook groups for this podcast for this about non-clinical careers for physicians. And I would say that uh, at least anecdotally and speaking to some of the people that run those resources, that most of the physicians in the groups, they don't necessarily leave clinical medicine. They just drastically cut back their hours so yeah. that they have more time for life, for their side gigs, for other things. So their life is not completely consumed by medicine as it normally is. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that's really the way forward. <laughs> I, don't think I, 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 I don't think anything is fun as a full-time job. <laughs> it's <laughs> probably that's my, true. Yeah. That's, my, that's my hot take. <laughs> and so kind of my whole 
my whole spiel to myself and to other people in, throughout med school was that I want to do medicine for fun and I want to make money on the side through other endeavors. And it was through kind of getting involved in coding and business and entrepreneurship and then later the YouTube channel that sort of got me to that point where, you know, the whole passive income thing. And now, you know, by the grace of God, I'm in a position where if I'm doing medicine, it's because I want to rather than because I needed to pay the bills. And so for anyone who is kind of unsure about what they want to do, I would, you know, like ultimately we all need a way of making money. We all need our economic engine to be sorted out. And there's no getting around that fact unless you just happen to be born with a trust fund, which is probably not the majority of your listeners. Because uh, if you are, then why would you listen to a podcast about <laughs> you know, improving your memory? Um, Very true. And so if you can, like, whatever you can do to sort out the money side of things sooner rather than later, just gives you more freedom to kind of do whatever you want for the rest of life. Um, and one of my biggest fears is in life is being shackled to a job that I might not necessarily enjoy. And so that's what I've been optimizing for these last eight years. And I think, you know, I would suggest if someone's unsure, then like anything you can do to add value to the world in a way that other people can pay for is probably going to be pretty good for you because A, it's fun and B, you learn a lot of stuff while doing it. Because the only real way to make money these days is to provide value because ultimately money is just an exchange of value. And so if you learn the skills that it takes to create value in the world that other people are willing to pay for, you actually end up learning a lot of interesting things in the process, not just from making money through it. And so, yeah. I think that's great advice. And I do think that there is going to be a, a larger shift in the upcoming years as far as how people treat their occupations, uh, especially in medicine with the chaos that seems to be going on with different we won't get into all the details with those. <laughs> but, uh, there was one thing I wanted to cycle back to before we end this interview, and that is the exam techniques that you have discussed in the past. And they seem to be some of your most popular videos too. And since people, at least in the US, our whole system in medicine has been based around passing the exams. It's like nothing else matters, just the board exams. How would you advise approaching those? Honestly, I don't know. I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out, but because <laughs> the step, like step one is really, really hard. Like there's so much stuff that I was like, I've been, I've, I've been through six years, six, six years of med school. I've been a doctor for two years and I've never even heard of this like fungus that they've asked me in this ambos question. So yeah, it's, 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 it's really hard. Uh, the thing that I'm, I keep coming back to though, is I keep reminding myself that, okay, I should take advantage of <laughs> active recall and space repetition. <laughs> and so now, for example, I'm going through Pathoma, which is, you know, a nice resource and as I'm going through it, rather than making notes, I'm writing questions for myself. And I use the app Notion to create these little toggle things. And so, you know, instead of writing notes on the large vessel vasculitis, disease, I will write questions for myself about each of the points that he's mentioned in the videos. And then I'll just screenshot the answers from the, from the PDF. And I find that kind of the more questions I write for myself, the less excuse it gives me to kind of fall into lazy patterns of thinking. And lazy patterns of thinking are involved rereading and summarizing. But answering questions is like the ultimate way to force yourself to, you know, test yourself. Uh, and so that's what I keep coming back to. Got to get away from that passive learning back to the active learning strategies. Yeah, man. But like it's hard. Like, you know, I haven't been bothered to do USMLE prep for the last few weeks. And so I'm kind of asking, asking myself, do I really want to do this? Or am I just talking myself into having it as an option because I'm afraid of what my life would look like without having an exam to prepare for, without having another goal? And I think there's a large aspect of me just thinking, hey, I'll take the USMLE as a way of making myself feel better about the fact that I don't really know what to do with my life. So, yeah, I don't know, man. Well, at least coming up soon, uh, step one will be pass-fail, so you won't necessarily have to worry about what actual score you receive. 
Yes, exactly. I'm very much looking forward to that. Initially, I was thinking that, oh, if I can take step one in the next 12 months, and if I can just like really pull out all the stops and get a really, really high score, then that'll be good for my life. But I'm thinking when I, when I look back on my time and my sort of, I'm 26 now, do I really want to say that, you know, I'm really glad I spent my entire year from age 26 to age 27 when I had the freedom and the capital to travel the world and do whatever I want. I'm really glad I spent 12 hours a day studying for the assembly step one and that I now remember none of those facts. I probably yeah. wouldn't think that. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, I might just casually kind of maybe do like an hour or two of Anki cards or like question banks a day. And then when it goes past fail, I'll be, I'm, I'm pretty confident I'll be able to comfortably sail through it provided I've done enough prep work over time. And that's all you need. I forget what the stat is thrown out there. I'm not sure if it's based on actual research, but the amount of physicians, practicing physicians that can pass step one now is like almost nothing. So oh, well. <laughs> not the only one. Uh, again, that's, that's anecdotally. I'm not sure if that's based on anything. I've just heard that many times over the years. I mean, there's, there's no way I'd be able to pass step one right now. And I've been <laughs> a practicing physician for two years. So. <laughs> yeah. So what is that test actually testing? That's yeah. the question. Well, anyway, <laughs> Ali, this has been great. I'm glad we could finally connect. I hope mm -hmm. to have some more communications in the future. And where can the audience find out more about you? Oh, um, yeah, thanks for having me. This has been fun. So if you just type in Ali Abdal on YouTube or Dr. Ali or Ali Medical Student or just anything, anything like that, I'm, I'm sure my stuff will come up. And yeah. Perfect. Thank you again for joining us today. Thank you. One great way to excel in your studies is to download our free PDF of study skills, memory techniques, and other fun tools that you can implement right away and begin accelerating your education. Go to freemeded.org slash medstudent to download our free essentials guide for Read This Before Medical School. You can also purchase a full book with all of our tips, tools, and advice. Read This Before Medical School at your bookstore of choice. And if you've already done that, please do leave a review at freemeded.org slash book review.